Our series is called Head to Toe, and it's about forming, not just being informed, but being formed in faith. And this morning, we're looking at the way that justice can form us from inside out. A lot of times, we think of our faith as an inside-out thing, which is true. But the question that is before us this morning is, can our, our outward action uh, affect us inwardly? Can being involved in other people's pain, in the issue of, of justice, in causes and the externals of our world, and putting things right outside of us, can that have an effect on forming us within? And I think what we're going to see, the answer is, is yes. From, from the Word of God, Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 26. 25 here. This is a familiar parable, parable of the Good Samaritan, an answer to a question, how do I inherit eternal life? Hear God's word this morning. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put, by the way, let me pause right there. This isn't um, just a civil lawyer. This is someone who's a, a religious law expert. So behold, a, a lawyer stood up before him and said, put him to the test and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he said to him, then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, and let's say it the way I, I, I think he said it, the one who showed him mercy, right? Can't even say Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our heart, soul, mind, and strength that we may embody your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about nuns this morning. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. Nuns. Have you heard about the nuns, the rise of the nuns? So there's this Pew study some years ago about uh, where people stand in terms of their faith. And so picture, you know, a checklist of a bunch of boxes, and you can see, you know, Islam, and you can see Judaism, and you can see Christianity, and then you can see none of the above, right? 
So from 2007 to, to, to 2014, there was an increase of those who checked the nuns box from 16% to 35%. 35% of millennials checked the nuns box. Now, baby boomers, it's a little different. Baby boomers are around 16%, a little lower than that even. But there is this rise of uh, this perspective that, uh, now, now that doesn't necessarily mean that they're agnostic or that they're atheist. It just says that they don't identify with any particular denomination, or any, and, and they, they're not prepared to declare that on a form. We, you know, sometimes it depends on how the question is asked. But it is, it is a, a, a concern. And you, you may say, well, you know, especially millennials, you know, they're younger and they, they've had limited life experience. And maybe when, you know, they, 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 they bury somebody, they deal with some diff- life difficulty. Or when they have children and they begin to see, you know, how difficult it is to raise children and, and all of that. You may, you know, those of you who are older may say, well, you know, this is, this is part of just the, the life stage. But I think we have to take seriously that they're... There's some shifts. There's some changes going on. And one of the things that I think that is notable for me is that, and I think that we have to internalize as a church, is what it says to us that, that younger generations are not as um, attracted to being in a pattern of, of going to church. And one of the reasons, and I think probably the chief reason, and you and I can all feel this, we all know that when somebody acts like they're better than, do you want to be around them? Do you like being around people who act like they're better than you? I mean, do you? Of course you don't. I mean, it's one of the things that's the least attractive in a, a quality of somebody else. And I think sometimes, you know, churches get this sort of this, this narrative that's going on like, like as though just going to church makes you sort of project that you're better than. And I think that, that sometimes this is, this is the impression that younger generations get that, that, um, that, that, that can't necessarily understand what it takes to create a place like this, sustain a place like this, and measure all that happens as a result of being a church, all that happens in the lives of people here and the lives of our community and the things we're able to do. It's hard to, I mean, you can't account for that when you're younger. But I think here's, here's what I also see that's going on is that in this, um, in this trend of the nuns is a reinvention of the same problem. And, and it looks a little bit like this. Well, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not a profession Christian, but, you know, this is my cause, and I'm for this group of people, and I'm for this issue, and I stand on this side of, of history with, with these people. And so what we end up doing is we end up reinventing the same human problem, but on a different basis, a different foundation. You can see in the, in the passage, here's somebody who's trying to justify himself. Did you hear that? Wanting to justify himself, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself. That is a pivotal part of this passage. That's the problem. That's the human problem, wanting to justify ourselves, to make life work for us apart from God. And so sometimes we do that with religion, and sometimes we do that with causes. And so the the replacement for the nuns, uh, the trend for the replacement for the nuns in terms of the foundation of justifying yourself is an outward activism, right? 
Now, what's sneaky about this is it looks like you're being others-centered, like you're serving somebody else. But if you're doing that just to justify yourself, you're dealing with uh, shame and fear and guilt, and you're going to stick up for this underdog, and I'm going to be better because of that, then what you're doing is you're simply trying to do the same thing. It's the same song, different verse. I'm trying to justify myself on the back of some kind of victim. And now this has become my, my ethic. This has become the way that I'm making life work. This has become the way that, that I am okay with myself and the world because I'm sticking up for this thing. But see, it's the same. It, it, we're revisiting the same issue today as was in the early part of the 20th century. This, this same thing came up where um, the idea was we're not, um, there, there's no transcendent, we're going to discount God, and we're just humanity, re-engineer humanity and perfect humanity, this whole idea of that, that the arc of history is going towards this vague idea of progress, it, what, what came out of that is World War I and World War II. That was the result. That was the fruit of this disconnect from transcendence, this idea that, that human beings, you know, through technology, through, through the right information, through the right progress, we can, we can deal with all of our problems and get to the human heart. You can't change the human heart just through the right information or just through the right effort. And so this morning, what, what we're going to look at is, is this, this same sort of false separation between conversion of the human heart and, and, and then the, the, the writing of things in the world, justice. There, there's no... There should be no gap between these two, these two uh, values. You see, in the early part of the 20th century, there was this false rift. And, and because people in the church saw that, that, um, that, that, that other people in the church were trying to keep the church relevant through activism alone, they overreacted and said, well, all activism is sort of, you know, that's, that's a secular endeavor. We're about conversion. We're about evangelism. We're about the human heart. And so there was this false separation between justice causes and the gospel. But the gospel is all one of a piece, you see? And we're revisiting this same rift. I mean, I'm seeing people that I respect lining up on, on, on two sides of this. People who are overreacting to each other because they're worried, because they're saying, well, you're trying to keep the, the church relevant to the nuns or to the millennials, so we got to reposition the church so that it looks relevant so that they're attracted. No, no, no. Jesus is putting the outside and the inside together. He keeps them together. Cup of cold water and a word of truth. Both ways of expressing, of expressing the love of God. Love of God, love of neighbor. He puts them together. So let's take a look at, at, at how we keep, how we can keep these together and how it forms us. Okay? So how, how does keeping both cup of cold water and a word of truth together, called the gospel, how does that form us? Well, first of all, it, 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 it kind of forces the question, what am I for? Now, not just what am I against, but what am I for? What am I for? Are you for the good? 
Am I for the good? Am I for the common good? Am I for making things better? Am I, am I for making things better within myself and within the world around me? Am I really for that? Am I for that? Or am I, am I really just interested in being better than? In reinforcing a social hierarchy, for example. Or in projecting that I've got it figured out. You see, this is the big turnoff to young people. And you know what? That should turn people off. That should turn you off. The idea that better than is enough for us in terms of practicing our faith. When Jesus really calls us to the common good and to be better, to be better people, to not just better than people, but to be better people. Now, where does this come out? Well, you can see that, that relating well to God and to others is, is the, the heart of justice. When things are put right, we relate well to God and to each other. There's order in the world. There is this high sense of dignity of the worth of every person, every human being. That's justice. That's what we're for. But sometimes we only stand against. See, let's go back to verse 29 where it says this. He says, but desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What's what's going on here? There's a controversy that he's bringing up, and he's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to trap him. And the controversy is, what is the full extent of my neighbor? Does it really include, and the controversy of the day was, does it include my enemy? Does it include, for example, Samaritans? Samaritans. And Tyler read earlier the, the Deuteronomy passage, the Shema. You know, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. So this, this law expert brings these two things together, and it really represents the first tablet and the second tablet, right? The great command, as Jesus puts it, right? The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So, so so this, all of this comes to a head around the question of the Samaritan. Well, what's going on here? See, what, what's happening is that Jesus is calling out this lawyer for being better than, and not just being, not, not being for better, not being for the common good, not, not being for, for justice, but being against a certain class of people or a certain person or a certain group of people so that he can feel better than. They're sort of the whipping boy. The Samaritans are. Well, why are the Samaritans, why are we beating up on the Samaritans so much? Let's look back at why. And a lot of times, you know, the summary of it is, is often, well, because they intermarried and they were not just, just uh, you know, loyal to the Jewish people. Well, that's part of it. But, but imagine, now, let's, let's go back in time here and let's think about where, where were the Samaritans during the exile? The Samaritans were Jews you know, who stayed back and who made all kinds of compromises, who did not suffer the way that the rest of Israel suffered, who, who, uh, who made life work for them apart from God on their own terms by intermarrying, yes, with, within uh, you know, the, the Assyrian Empire and uh, the Babylonians who had overcome uh, Judah, the, the, the southern kingdom. And so as a result, they were viewed as these, these interlopers, these people. You know, I, don't, I remember back in the 1980s when, uh, when uh, there was a big strike and, um, 
And then they, they called them, they, they called the football, it was an NFL football strike. And then they, they got all these, uh, these, these new recruits to come in and play football. And those people were looked at as, well, they, they called them scabs. Some of y'all remember they were scabs. That's what they called these football players. And this is how they looked at the Samaritans. You know, the Samaritans had done all these things to, to make things work for themselves. But here's, the, here's where you can feel it, you see. When somebody betrays you and, and, and sort, of, um, sort of cozies up to the enemy, and as a result, you suffer and they don't, this is the history, you see. See how personal this is? It's not just about ethnicity. It's, it's about story. What's the story? Israel suffered in exile. And the Samaritans didn't. They stayed back. They made compromises. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of like what, what Jesus is doing. He's, he's kind of like showing him that this is what this, is what this lawyer is like. It's, like. it's like that story of the, the two guys that come upon a mountain lion in the, in the forest. And, um, and the other guy kind of kneels down and he... he he starts tying his shoes a little bit tighter, just making sure that they're, they're tight. And his friend says, are you going to try to outrun that mountain lion? You can't outrun a mountain lion. And you know the, the punchline is, I don't have to outrun the mountain lion. I just have to outrun you, right? I don't have to outrun the mountain lion. I just have to outrun you. I thought maybe second, saying it a second time, maybe some of the rest of you might get it. <laughs> this is the attitude of Judaism of the day towards the Samaritans. We're better than, better than. And Jesus is calling it out. He's calling it out. He's showing, look, you're not really for justice. You're for you. You're not really for the good or the common good. You're not for getting better. You're just interested in being better than. And by putting the Samaritan as the hero of the story, he's confronting that in the lawyer. Well, so you say, well, okay, so I see it in the story, but how do I, how do I deal with it myself? How do I know where I'm doing that? Well, let's ask that question. Am I really for it? What, what, so, so the first question is, what am I for? Am I for justice? Am I for the right? Am I for the common good? Am I for the good and the just and the right and the true in every person? Or am I just interested in sort of using a, a, a Christian ethic or a Christian identity to be better than my neighbor? That's the first point. But the second point is, so, so am I really for it? How do I know that I'm really for it? Am I for the good or am I just for my own good? Well, let's look back at verse 31. Verse 31 says this. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite. So here are two people that represent holiness, the priest and the Levite. They represent, they represent the people to God. They represent just sort of the ethic, but also the practice of holiness, of being separate, of being, of being good, right? Of being on the right side of every equation, on the right side of history. They represent that. And they pass by on the other side. Why do they pass by on the other side? Well, 
it says he's half dead. So the, the, in the story, he's half dead. And, and, and so if, if a Levite or a priest were to intervene with that person who was, who was suffering on the side of the road, and it turned out they were dead, then that would be really inconvenient for them. <laughs> Let that sink in. I mean, it's just so amazing to think, you know, uh, here's somebody who's suffering, and uh, they need something, but, you know, I really can't be inconvenienced. It, you know, there's a stu- there's a, there was a study at Princeton uh, uh, Seminary. Now, this is terrible, but, um, but they were, it, it was, it, some of y'all probably heard about this study at Princeton where, where they were, they were uh, there was a group of, of seminarians, and they were to study this passage. And then, then they were given this false story that they were supposed to be at, um, at a place to present their findings and, and how they would apply this. And they were told a certain building. So all of them had to pass by in this one spot, uh, and, and they moved the meeting up. So there was some urgency, and everybody re- was really feeling a sense of urgency. And, and they passed by. This really happened. They passed by somebody who was an actor who was pretending to be, <laughs> to be hurt, but they would not stop and help. You know, here they're studying the Good Samaritan, and here is somebody pretending to be hurt and in need. You're like, help me, you know. And they're like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy learning about the Good Samaritan, okay? So, so you know, it's just uh, it, an incredible irony. But that, that's, that's you and me. And, and this is the reason why Jesus is making this so personal with this. With, with, I mean, it's so offensive what he's doing on purpose to confront Religious status quo, better than. You say, okay, so how do I know? How do I know? Well, see, what's what's happening here is that the Levite and the priest, they look at the law and the limits of the law, and they understand there's something that defined, there's structure to the law. It says, okay, this is right and this is wrong, but they're looking only at the wrong in order to what? To be justified. And so it's almost like you're looking at a river only at the banks of the river and and valuing the river for its banks rather than the river itself. And here's an expert in law who is even able to say the purpose of laws, 613 different laws that they had at the time, the purpose of it is love God, love your neighbor. He's able to summarize it, but yet he cannot see on a personal level how he's only looking at the banks of the river and not the river itself. And sometimes it just takes looking at it on a more personal level. So let's look at that for just a minute. I'm going to give a more modern day example to help you and to help me really internalize what is Jesus' message to us with with putting the Samaritan as the hero of the story. Why is he using the Samaritan? What is he a symbol of? I'm going to take us back to, to World War II. And we're talking about Russia. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a a dissident, an intellectual, a a public person, a public figure, somebody everybody knew at the time in that country who wrote, uh, ended up uh, uh, writing this this powerful treatise uh, after the end of the war about his experience in a Russian concentration camp. And the most famous quotation from the Gulag Archipelago, which is the name of his treatise, uh, after he, the most famous quotation 
I'm going to tell you in just a second, but I'm going to tell you what it came out of. It came out of a lot of suffering. It came out of dealing with human nature. It came out of, uh, of watching the good and the bad, people's reaction to it, the way that people were responding to injustice. Dealing with oppression and being in this pressurized place where you're stripping humanity down to its, its raw uh, bones, its bare bones, and saying, what are we really capable of and what really matters and how do we normally react to injustice? And after all of that, you would think, here is somebody who has more right than anybody else to point his finger at those people and say, those people are the problem. I mean, there are few other people in recent times who have had the experience where they might seem justified in saying, those people are the problem, right? Not us, but them. And what does he say? This is, this is the quotation. He says, the dividing line between good and evil runs through every human heart. You see? After that experience, he realizes, he looked at his oppressors and he said, that's me. That's my condition. That's the human condition. You know? It's worse than I thought. <laughs> I mean, that's what he's saying. It's like, this is, you know, this is really pretty incredible what human beings are capable of doing to each other. And this feels bad this morning, but Jesus has a really great and hopeful reason for taking us that low. And that's, that's the third point here. When you and I see, so the first part, what are we really for? Are we for the good or just my own good? And am I really for it? Am I willing to look at the point of the Samaritan and to say the Samaritan was someone who betrayed their people and that's me? Now, what do I do with that? Where do I start? How do I, how do I become not just better than, but for the good, for the good? And really, how does being involved in other people's pain? How does that affect me? And that's what Jesus' point of the passage is. Now, there's a famous, uh, there's a famous preacher that, if I said his name, most of you would know him. Uh, and, and he recently preached on this passage and said that this has nothing to do with, with social justice because the whole idea of social justice has become this, uh, this lightning rod. Again, it's this false separation between conversion and justice, this false separation between internal and external. Jesus is putting it together. And, and what I'm saying that, that this passage is saying, that this famous teacher missed, is that when you and I are involved in other people's pain, when we get proximate to the difficulties of our community, when we enter in to solve the problems of Thomasville, Georgia, 
When we, when we take a step closer to the margins of life and to the people who are dealing with things, whether they're dealing with their own um, bad decisions or whether life happened to them, when we do that, as we're called to do that, when we do that, we see our own condition. We soften towards the gospel. We become much more open to seeing not only just how graceful God has been to us, but just how deep the need goes. Verse 20, 33. Let's look back at this again. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's showing the Samaritan as the hero not to be able to say, okay, all right, there's a Grand Canyon between you and God, and I'm going to give you jumping lessons, all right? Jesus didn't come to give jumping lessons. Jesus took on the flesh of the Samaritan. Think about that for a minute. Jesus put on sinful flesh. You say, well, Tim, I, you know, he was a perfect person. Well, of course he was. He was without sin. But he put on our injured flesh. Philippians chapter 2. Paul says it. Right? Being found in the very nature of God, he humbled himself. Right? He took on human nature. And yet he was without sin. Jesus is the one who bound up the wounds of humanity. Jesus is the one who got down from his, his mount and traded places and put us on there. Jesus is one who wrote the blank check for our needs to the innkeeper. You see, what he's saying is, <laughs> if you don't recognize how deep it goes in other people, if you don't want justice for other people, namely the Samaritan in your life, then you're not really going to embrace it yourself. It's true. Who's your Samaritan? Who is the Samaritan in your life? What class of people? Maybe it's your uncle. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's the folks that you keep reading about on social media and they're saying the wrong thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's a political party. Who is your Samaritan? Do you have hope for that person? Here's the summary of Miroslav Volf, who, who is a similar figure to, uh, to Alexander Solzhenitsyn, but even more recent than that. He's from the Balkans. He's from Croatia. He said, he said this. He said, forgiveness falters when I exclude myself from the company of sinners and my enemy from the company of humans. Forgiveness falters when I exclude myself from the company of sinners and my enemy from the company of humans. See, God has called us into those difficult and dark places in our community so that we can see how deep the need goes and how deep Jesus went into that Grand Canyon to meet that need. When we see that, when we enter into other people's pain, we can begin to see 
how deep the Father's love is for us. Let's pray. Holy God, how we thank you that you're equal to our need and that you met it on the cross. And we thank you this morning for the opportunities that we have around us to connect with people in need. That God, as we, as we do, as we see the human condition playing out, that we would really want better for other people rather than just better than ourselves. May it be so in our lives this day and evermore.